Hey church family, Pastor Chad here. I just wanted to um, be safe. I've been having a little bit of a cold this week and uh, I know it's the season and I thought it would be the smartest to just uh, share the word of the Lord from my house and then have uh, Brother Justin upload it for us. So thank you, Justin and, and Lance for leading uh, in worship and overseeing tech and uh, Pastor Andrew for overseeing the flow of our gathering this morning. Um, you know, this, this week the Lord really put a word in my heart um, through the prophet Jonah. And so the difficulty of doing something like Jonah is it's, it's, we're all so familiar. Even maybe if you didn't even grow up in the church, you've heard of Jonah and the whale. Exactly. And so it's easy to sort of like lose sight of what this book is all about. And so, you know, the context is Jonah is a prophet to the northern kingdom Israel. Uh, in fact, we, we only really meet him outside of the book of Jonah in 2 Kings chapter 14. He is a prophet to one of Israel's most wicked kings. And so um, he doesn't just poof out of the air, but the book of Jonah is incredibly unique in the prophetic tradition. Most prophets books like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and others, they, they don't so much narrate the, the biographical information of the prophet. They contain the words and um, declarations and utterances of the prophet. But what we'll find in the book of Jonah is Jonah's life is the prophetic message. And my hope, which is kind of a weird way to say it, is by the end of the book of Jonah, you and I have this mirror held up to say, in what ways are we just like Jonah? In what ways does Jesus, who is greater than Jonah, the gospel writers say, save us from a life of some of the big, glaring um, shortcomings of the man of God, the prophet? And so... Without further ado, this is Jonah, again, a prophet to the northern, northern kingdom, a wicked king. They've experienced a little bit of life. They've conquered some, some territories that have been overrun by some, some pagan um, nations. And so there's kind of this, maybe a little bit of self-sufficiency and arrogance. Again, uh, Jeroboam II, incredibly wicked and vile king. And then we meet the prophet Jonah. And so let's, let's just uh, go through this passage together. It says this, Now the word of the Lord <clears throat> came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to Tarshish and set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Again, that's the second time it said that, so pay attention. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. And so what we see here is just this amazing picture. Um, throughout Israel's history, we hear of false prophets. Um, 
fake prophets who say peace, peace when disaster's coming, who instead of rebuking Israel or Judah of their sin, they participate in further their wickedness. This is an, kind of an unprecedented prophet. This is a prophet who's not um, false in the sense of announcing a, a message contrary to the Lord. He's a rebellious prophet. The word of the Lord comes and he's out of there. He runs away from his vocation and from his specific assignment. Yikes. And what we find is when we run away, run away from God and we kind of believe the lie that there's a better plan or purpose for our life than obedience to the message and the mantle that God has for each of us, what we find is we don't progress. You know, there's this great myth of progress that humans are somehow able to uh, actualize or manifest and materialize this vision of utopia. Everyone just getting along and coexisting and everyone's happy and ha everyone's equal and everyone has enough. And, but what we find actually the further we go away from the Lord's presence and for the prophet Jonah, away from the purpose and the assignment that God has for the prophet and for us, we actually go backwards. It's not progress, it's digressing. And it's so significant. If you look again at this passage, you see that God sends this chaotic waters. He hurls this, this storm. And if you go back to Genesis before the spirit that hovers over the chaos of uncreation, this vastness that that needs God's order, that needs God's direction, that needs God God's creative forming and power released by his word. What we find, it's so profound and throughout the biblical uh, story, biblical theology, the, 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 the waters, the chaotic waters are always this sort of anti-creation, this loomy, dark, and, and so this is so significant. The prophet who is supposed to not just hear the word of the Lord, but obey it and release it, he tries to run from the presence of the Lord, it says twice in these first four verses. And instead of, you know, escaping to Tarshish, which, which in the time of this, this, this book, Tarshish is another way of saying sort of the furthest ends of, of the world, like right at the very tip of what some scholars consider to be modern day Spain. So it's far away from Israel, it's far away from um, the assignment to go east to Nineveh instead of west, way out to Tarshish. But we find the further we go away from the Lord, we go back, not to this vision of progress that our destiny and identity somehow is enhanced by disobeying the Lord's purposes. We actually find the exact opposite. We find the chaotic waters. And then look, look how this passage goes on. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and he laid down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we, don't, we do not have to perish. And so what we find here is this amazing, like sort of like, it's like comedy. In fact, uh, you know, commentaries and scholars consider this book unique in the prophetic tradition in the sense of it's like satire. It's like if you've ever watched Saturday Night Live, 
the reason <clears throat> when it's um, appropriate, it's so, it can be so funny is because they take real life characters, they blow out their, their, their blaring weaknesses or hypocrisy and they make a skit. And so that's really what the book of Jonah is doing, where the prophet, the, the man or woman of God, is supposed to be the one who runs to God, who releases God's word, who's the first to obey, even at great cost, which many of the prophets paid. But here we see the exact opposite. In the chaotic waters of anti-creation, not of progress, but of digress, what we're left with is this vacuum See, when we go away from the Lord's purposes, we're left with painting pictures of what we perceive to be good and evil, of what we perceive to be the good life. And so it's so significant that in this context, the sailors are crying out to their various gods in a polytheistic worldview. I mean, I just find this so tragic. When we don't acknowledge the one true God and his rightful claim over our lives, all we're left with is calling on the name of the gods who serve as idols and as pillars to hold up our own faulty, fractured vision and version of life apart and over and against God's purposes. And we see this in our culture. The worst thing that can happen in our quest to run away from the Lord is that we actually become desensitized to the vo His voice altogether. Or his presence. I mean, if you look at this, who is supposed to know sort of ultimate reality? Again, the Holy Spirit's not poured out on all flesh yet. It ha Jesus hasn't come. He hasn't paid the price and inaugurated the new covenant. He hasn't ascended to the right hand of the Father so that all of God's people can have the Holy Spirit. Prophets are the one who are supposed to understand times and seasons. And here, in the midst of the chaos, it's, it's comedy. It's tragic. The sailors are crying out to their gods. God's man, God's prophet, is fast asleep, lulled asleep, totally unaware of the chaos and the craziness around. This is a picture of where our rebellion and our resistance to our assignment in the season, this is a picture of what happens to us. I'll never forget, I was counseling a guy who was on the verge of, um, you know, entertaining an extramarital affair. And i never forget, we were, we were talking and he was like, well, won't, won't God just forgive me after I, you know, make these terrible choices? My, my wife, you know, she's already made terrible choices, so why, why don't I have the right to do uh, terrible choices and terrible things? And I remember looking at him seriously without um, skipping a beat. It felt like the Holy Spirit said, you are assuming you'll feel bad for your sin after you willfully choose to rebel. In other words, you're assuming a level of sensitivity, a level of tenderness to the word of the Lord that would draw you back to repentance and faith out of the pig pen trough of your rebellion, adultery, and sin. And what we see here is that the sailors, this these pagan, I mean, sailor, sailors get a bad rap, past, present, you know, uh, you know, swear, swear like a sailor. The sailors are aware of the chaos and the man of God is totally asleep, totally indifferent. I mean, this is a picture of where when we resist and rebel against our 
prophetic calling as the people of God to carry the message and the heart of God for our generation. This is what can happen to all of us. We can be asleep. We can be indifferent to the cries and the chaos of our culture. Not so that we can get caught up in its frenzy, but so that we can release God's perspective and God's plan for and in and through the chaos. This is not like Jesus who is able to sleep in the storm because he has authority over it. This is the prophet Jonah asleep in rebellion, totally dull to what God has for him in the moment. And man, if I could just have a word right here, friends, we cannot afford to sleep in this hour of great animosity, of great chaos, of great confusion. We need to be awake. Ephesians 5 says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not, not live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Jonah's asleep. This is the depth of which we can go in our rebellion. He's deaf. He's dull. He can't hear what God is up to in the moment of the storm. Friends, we cannot afford, and I I love this, it's the pagans. I don't love this. It's the pagans who call for a prayer meeting. Come on, let's cry out to Jonah. How can you sleep? Call out to God. We're calling out. We're polytheistic. We think there's a God for every storm, for every, for all of life. There's a different God. Every region, there's a different God over every region. So maybe your God's the one that's ticked off. It's so significant that the pagans are crying for a prayer meeting. Again, this is meant to draw the listener into this, this, this story, this satire, this showing what happens when God's people fail to be God's people for the hour God has them in. The sailors said to one another, Come, let's cast lots that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where did you come from? What is your country? What are your, and of what people are you? Oh, look at that. It's so incredible. Why would they go to all that laundry list of questions? Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Man, what incredible questions they're asking. And what do we see? What's so significant is, 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 is many of the things that we see in culture, much of the chaos, no, maybe all of the chaos, all of that, that which has gone wrong with creation, hatred, racism, strife, injustice, greed, violence, lust, and the like, all of it is because humanity has forgotten our true identity, purpose, and vocation in the world. The reason they ask, like, what do you do? Where do you come from? Again, they're This whole prophetic book is this one huge mirror that God is holding up to his people, past, present, and future. Like, what's your job? You're, you know, you're supposed to be this man of God. We find out that he's already told them he's running from God here in a couple verses. But what do you do? 
if you think about humanity's vocation way back in the garden of Genesis 1 and 2, our job was to rule and subdue and to partner with God and seeing the, the barriers and the boundaries and the beauty of the garden expand outside of the garden into all of creation. So in a very real sense, the reason there is sickness, the reason there is there's brokenness. There's the reason that there's thorns in the ground was because humanity at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day failed to live out our vocation, which was to have communion with God and to serve with his dominion for his purposes and plans to be cultivated throughout all the earth, to make something of the, the, the beautiful raw potential of God's good world. Like, so where do you come from? What do you do? It's this way to, to ask God's people past, present, future. Like, don't forget why you are here. You bear my image so that like can relate to like. Intimacy, friendship, communion. You are made for me by love, to love, in love. This is why we exist. And then out of that love, we mediate God's plans and his kingdom redemptive purposes on the earth. So like in any storm, it's not the time like we see on every news channel that I've not watched as much, like I said last week, I confess last week. But we see accusations and slander and they're the problem, they're the fault, they're the cause. And meanwhile, God's people know that yes, and there is truth to that. We are the cause for the, the, the messiness of our world because of our sin and our unwillingness to heed the word of the Lord, to obey and embody the word of the Lord. There's actually a lot of truth to that, but the problem is not just out there, it's in here. We have to remember, as those who bear the mark and image of God, we have an assignment and a vocation in the world out of our communion with God through Christ in the power of the Spirit. We're meant to serve on His behalf as salt and light, that which preserves and brings out life, that which illuminates and shines in the shadows and the darkness and the chaos and brings order, beauty, justice, and goodness in life. What do you do? Where are you from? You can just hear God asking us, do you know who you are? Do you know your place in this story? There's chaos, there's storms, it's incredibly hostile. Do you know your purpose? You're made for me and then to serve with me, to be my bearers and bringers of the good news. Here we have the chaotic waters overtaking the prophet who's running from the presence and the purposes of God. If you look back to Psalm chapter eight, you remember that God made humans a little, little lower than himself, but he crowned them with glory. Verse six of Psalm eight, you've given them dominion over the work of your hands and you put all things under their feet. And so here we see the vocation that God gave humanity. Jonah 1.9, I'm a Hebrew, he answered. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And again, what, what a tragedy that, that Jonah has settled for a version of worship that has no bearing on his life, on his own fruitfulness, on his own obedience. Friends, if there is an indictment on so many of us in this hour, is we would claim to worship the one true God. We would claim to be faithful. We would claim we go to church. We, we're a decent person, but 
it's almost like this incredible slap in the face. I worship, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the God of the land and sea, the ones that you're trying to sacrifice to and pick, what God did we tick off and why is there this storm? Like Jonah has in his history, being a person of the people of God, the Hebrew Jewish people, like he serves, quote, worships the God who splits the sea and delivers God's people. He's to- his worship has no bearing on his remembering who he is and it has no bearing on his operational life. In other words, he has a confession of worship, but his operational day-to-day life bears no resemblance to the one he claims to worship. Yahweh, who is Lord of all, the creator, redeemer, sustainer, and deliverer of God's people. When we run from God's presence and God's purpose and God's plan, we little by little forget the most basic dynamics and reality of what it means to be the people of God. Friends, this is a mirror. It's just a mirror to hold up. Are we asleep? Are we indifferent? Do we claim to worship? But do our lives bear witness to the one we claim to have given full allegiance to? That's the question. I worship the Lord. Like, but his worship had no bearing on his life. In fact, this is almost like more salt to the wound. Claiming to worship the one true God. And then, as we'll see in a few verses, but yet running away from his presence, or so he thinks, and his purpose. God help us. It goes on to say in verse 10, Then the men were even more afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because... He had already told them so. When we fail to worship with a costly, wholehearted, all of life kind of worship, the worship Jesus said in John 4, 22 through 24, the worship and the worshipers that the Father is actively seeking, those who would worship in the spirit and truth, whose worship would lead to a wholehearted vision of a life oriented and infused with the life of the one being worshiped. When we fail to worship, all we're left with is a void and a vacancy that will simply be filled by rival allegiances, ambitions, affections. To claim to worship and yet not wholeheartedly worship just leaves a vacuum that's going to be filled with a counterfeit. Man, so failing to wholeheartedly worship is way more costly than we could even comprehend. We're almost done with chapter one and that's where we're going to land the plane. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more temptuous. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea and then it will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. 
Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Like, it's so funny. Again, the man of God, the prophet, is supposed to be the one who's tender and sensitive and he embodies kingdom righteousness, but it's the sailors, these <laughs> sailors, who have tenderness. They don't want to throw him overboard. They don't want his blood on their hands. They try. Imagine the chaos. Instead of the prophet helping the people of God, helping the chaos, it's making it worse. And they, don't, and they want to preserve his life. It's the sailors who show mercy that we'll see in a, in a couple weeks that Jonah, the prophet, doesn't even have a vision of God's mercy. Again, it's a, it's a mirror to look into. They're the ones wanting to preserve life, and they try to do so by human means. Like, they're straining. We don't want to throw this guy overboard. There's got to be another way. And what's so incredible is strive and strain as we may. Our chaos and the storm that we're in as a culture is not fixable by merely human means. This is the myth, again, of progress. This vision, as Mark Sayers, the brilliant thinker and pastor and author, he, he, there's so many who have a vision of the kingdom without the king. They're straining, but they can't get to the shore. The storm only gets worse. This is and will forever be the picture when God's people are asleep and indifferent to their task, there won't be a solution. Let that sink in. The role and responsibility for the peculiar, priestly, and prophetic people of God in God's redemptive storyline and this unfolding saga of the kingdom that's going to come in fullness one day but in the meantime, we give ourselves to the in-between to embody and express God's vision of kingdom righteousness and justice. We'll never get to the shore by merely human means. There's a part for God's people to play in this hour. And then look at this. They cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as you pleased. So they picked Jonah up, they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Oh my goodness. Oddly, when the prophet leaves the picture, the one who's supposed to carry the message of the Lord, the heart and purpose of the Lord in the presence of the Lord, when he's gone, the, the sailors, the pagan sailors have a vision and a revelation of the fear of God. Even in spite of the rebellion of the prophet, 
the Lord shows his commitment and resiliency to draw people to himself. God's plan is to empower his people, past, present, and future, to to embody and announce the gospel of his kingdom. That through the glory of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and soon coming, by repentance and faith, we experience life. We're born again. We're adopted. We've we've given a new name, a new nature, a new uh, spiritual family, a new purpose, a new future. But even when we fail to live out our vocation, the Lord is so resilient to draw people to himself. Like the nations, Psalm chapter 2, will be the inheritance. Revelation 7, that vision of the multitudes coming before the throne. This is a sure future reality. The question is, do you want to be asleep to your purpose? Do I want to be asleep to the purpose of this hour, this great hour of harvest? Or do I want to be cast over as a dead weight because I have a worship in word but not in deed? I have a worship in theory but not in practice. I'm asleep. I'm running from the presence of God. My my vision of my life and what I think looks like success, whatever uh, vision of life you've bought into, like, like the further we go away from the Lord, actually the more chaotic it becomes. The Lord wants to invite you and I in deeper to come awake to the story that he wants to write right here in Santa Maria, right here in the Central Coast, right here in California, in the nation, and then in the nations of the earth. We're not dead weight. We can be awake. We can run to the presence of God. We can run with confidence and clarity about the message that he wants to release to our families, to our friends, to our relational networks, to those in our workplace, to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to the stranger, to the orphan, to the broken, to the marginalized. Yes, maybe even, as we'll see in a few weeks, to those we would view as our enemies, that maybe the Lord has a word for them that he wants to first embody and show, and then to have us share. (sighs) Incredible. Look how chapter 2 ends. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the whale, or the fish, for three days and three nights. It's almost like I'm not saying this as a thus saith the Lord, but it's almost like this season, this COVID season, among many other things and difficult as it's been, it's almost like it's been for the church, and I'll just say for myself, of which I am a part of God's people. It's like it's been our season in the belly. It's like a divine window. It's a time to come to our senses. What is our purpose? Why are we here? What plan does God have? What, what's my offering look like? You know, again, Romans 12 says, every believer, anyone who's tasted or drank of the grace and mercy of Jesus, 
all of us have the same calling to offer the entirety of our life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. To be wholehearted in our love for Him and our love for our neighbor, including our enemy. And to make disciples, to invite others in on the same epic journey of being formed and fashioned by Jesus as we follow Jesus. It's like this has been our window of time, our divine pause in the belly of the whale to think, are we living out of God's vision, out of God's purpose for God's people in this hour? Or has our message been hijacked by competing voices? Has it been buried or forgotten altogether? Maybe you, like Jonah, could use a whale. Whale time. It's so amazing that even though Jonah, running from the presence of the Lord, it says twice, confessing to worship the Lord who reigns over the chaos, but yet his worship, it's so funny. It's amazing. Jonah actually doesn't pray on the boat. The man of God, the prophet, doesn't pray when the pagans are praying out to their false gods. And then they even pray to Yahweh. When your Bible has an all caps, L-O-R-D, that's the divine name. That's the name of the covenant God of Israel. He doesn't even pray or offer any solution on the boat in the chaos. And so he has a timeout. He has a whale timeout. And how many of you need a fish right now <laughs> to rethink, to reconsider what does it mean to be God's people in this hour. We're going to see next week the prayer, or maybe I'll actually unfold this message on our, on our, because my dad's coming next week. Don't you dare forget it. It's going to be off the hook next Sunday. You won't want to miss it. Sunday morning, Sunday night at 6.30, and then Monday night at 6.30. That's next week. But what, how many of you need maybe to spend some time in the whale. Maybe you've been running from the presence of the Lord for too long. Maybe we've forgotten our primary identity and vocation is to have communion with Him and His presence and then to serve His purposes in this hour. Wherever your, your work takes you, your, your influence, your gifts, your talents, in many ways, I was watching, by the way, thank you, my children, on Wednesday, <laughs> they were watching a little kid show on Jonah, and I, that's why I have this word today. The Lord spoke to me so profoundly through the book of Jonah all week. I'm like, oh my, like what, during a kid's show, the Lord's like, this is a Jonah hour. I'm about to spew my people out of the whale. And they gotta know my message. They gotta know my heart. They gotta know my assignment. They gotta know my plans and my purposes for this hour. They can't miss what I'm about to do on the earth. And friends, that's my prayer as I land the plane here at the end of chapter one. I'm gonna try to find a quote, if you'll just humor me really quick, here on my computer by the great C.S. Lewis. It's just so... Um, um, articulates, uh, you know, what I want us to, land the plane on, 
I love this quote by Brother C.S. Lewis. When we think about what is our purpose, this Jonah hour, where the church in many ways has had to spend some time in the belly of the well, like the whole world, in the midst of the chaos of culture. Look how relevant this first chapter in all of this little tiny book of Jonah is for our cultural moment. Like, who am I? Am I running from the presence of the Lord or to the presence of the Lord? Am I running with the message of the Lord or some other counterfeit message? Do I know my part in the story or am I trying to write my own story? That's Jonah chapter one. C.S. Lewis says, in the same way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men and women into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all of the cathedrals, the clergy, the clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. C.S. Lewis. God became man for no other purpose. <laughs> it is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. It says in the Bible that the whole universe was made for Christ and that everything is to be gathered together in him. My prayer as we spend some time, maybe you've been like, dude, is this whale going to last forever? No, it's not going to last forever. But why do we exist? What is our purpose in the midst of the chaos of culture? And I pray as we get to the prophet being spewed out with the message, even still reluctant, that the Lord wants to see, like Nineveh in chapter 4, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, why not, a billion soul harvest on the earth when we realize our purpose is to draw people to Jesus. This is our calling by being drawn to Jesus and given over to Jesus ourselves. And so let me pray for us. Father, what a journey through Jonah chapter one. We see, Lord, that when we fail to live out our vocation as the people of God, it doesn't just impact us. It impacts the world, the climate, and the culture around us. Father, we cry out, have mercy on us. Awaken us to your plan. Awaken us to your purpose. Give us clarity, confidence, conviction, and courage. To, like Brother C.S. Lewis said, this is why we exist, to draw people to Christ, to carry the message of the gospel, to bear witness to it in word and in deed. The whole purpose of creation, as C.S. Lewis and Ephesians 1 say, are to be drawn and gathered up in Jesus. So Father, I pray that we would use this time in the belly of the whale to be reinvigorated, to re-enlist in this epic kingdom quest. Lord, we're believing, as we've been saying for years now at Cornerstone, this is a year of harvest. And I don't believe that that word was wrong. So Holy Spirit, Meet us in the whale's belly. Anoint us. Awaken us. We don't, we're not dead weight. We don't want to be asleep to the plans and presence and purposes of God in this hour for our generation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you. I just hope you know, man, this word was for me. I don't want to be asleep. I want to be awake to the plans and purposes of God in this hour. And I trust that you do as well. I really encourage you, read through Jonah multiple times this week. It's like, I think, 44 verses. You could read it seven times this week, once a day. And let's have another conversation about it 
as this week unfolds. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm so thankful for our people. You're amazing. Man, I hope this word has stirred you like it stirred me. I'd love to hear from you. Don't, don't be shy to reach out. Bless you.